0: Our topic for tonight
1: is the Mysteries
0: of the Mummies. When
1: King Tut's tomb was discovered in 1922, it unlocked a lot of mysteries into Egyptian culture and traditions.
0: King Tut's tomb contained over 5,000 priceless treasures. King Tut was one of the more poor pharaohs that ruled in Egypt. He died at the youthful age of about 19, back in 1350 B.C. And you can see here in the picture his tomb, the chambers of his tomb.
1: And here he is, buried in his nest of seven coffins, the last of which was out of solid gold. Here you can see a
0: picture of his
1: death mask, golden death, death mask. And as you look at that,
0: you see he was a youthful person. You can see his youthful features. The beard beneath his chin identified him with Osiris, the god of the dead. You see, the Egyptians believed that when somebody died,
1: he would be rowed by a ferryman across the river Nile to the west and on the other side they would meet Osiris, the god of the dead and begin the journey to the afterlife.
0: King Tun was ready for the journey. In fact, in his tomb, if you look carefully, you'll notice there are at least nine boats buried there in the tomb with him. He wanted to make sure he could cross the River Nile to the west and begin his journey to the afterlife. Here's a close-up of those boats there in the treasury chamber of his tomb.
1: What was it that those Egyptians taught about life after death and mummification? The Egyptians were masters
0: of mummification. Here is a picture of an Egyptian mummy, several thousand years old. They had mastered the art of preserving the, the body,
1: the dead. But why, Father, were the Egyptians so concerned about preserving the body? I'll tell you why. Because the Egyptians believed that when you die,
0: there's a part of you that lives on, the soul, or they called it the ka. And this thing that lives on after death needs the body in order to preserve its identity in the afterlife. That brings us to this question. Did the Egyptians know some secrets about death that we don't know? Was there any value, any merit to their practice of mummifying their dead?
1: It's interesting. And With the advent of Christianity into Egypt, the practice of mummification began to disappear which leads us to wonder, what did those early Christians teach that led the Egyptians to abandon the practice of mummification?
0: That brings us to the question, what happens after death? What happens when you die? Where do people go? Do they go to heaven? Or do they go to hell? Or do they go to purgatory? Or are they reincarnated into a higher or lower life form, as some religions teach or do we go anywhere? Does somebody who dies, do they go anywhere?
1: Is there life after death? Well, the Egyptians question.
0: believe so. That's why they were so concerned with preserving the body. So that whatever lived after death would have its identity. That question, is there life after death, the Bible itself asks. Our first text tonight, if you're taking notes, is Job 14, 14. Where the Bible says, if a man dies, shall he live again.
1: What's the answer to that? Where shall we go for the answer? Shall we go to the traditions of Egypt or to the Word of God? We're going to go to the Word of God tonight to find the answer to what happens when a person dies. We're going to look at the greatest mystery of the ages tonight. The mystery of what happens exactly after death. This is the mystery that has brought to us the pyramids of Egypt and all of the mummies. What happens when a person dies? Well, let's begin to read Isaiah twenty-six nineteen For an answer. Isaiah twenty-six nineteen: Thy dead men shall live. Together with my dead body shall they arise. Awake and sing, ye that dwell in dust. For your dew is as the dew of herbs. And the earth shall cast out the dead. So the Bible says that yes, the dead will live again. But the question is when? Is this talking about the resurrection when it says your dead men shall live? Together with my dead body shall they arise? Or do the dead live on in some form immediately after death?
0: And son, if so, then are the dead really dead? That's the title of your lesson tonight. Are the dead really dead? That's a fair question. There's another question that we need to answer that if we can answer correctly, it will help us to understand all other questions about death and the soul. Questions that the Egyptians could not answer. And the question is this. What kind of inherent nature does man possess? Is man mortal or immortal? Mortal. Mortal, that means capable of dying. Subject to death. Immortal is, of course, the opposite. That means not subject to death. Cannot die. Well, are we mortal or immortal? Well, the Egyptians believed that man is immortal, that there's an immortal part of man that lives on after death. Cannot
1: die. Yes, that was what the Anka, the hieroglyphic symbol of eternal life, represented. The Anka was the key, they believed, to
0: eternal life, life after death. What's the Bible said? Let's read from 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16. We're going to answer the question, mortal or immortal? And you'll want to put this text in your notes. 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16 says, Which in his times he shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality so the Bible says only God hath within himself an immortal undying nature from God flows life to all creation well son what about man then
1: is man mortal or immortal let's read what the Bible says this is from Romans 6 verse 12 let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body the Bible says that man is mortal you say well of course that's the body the Bible says the mortal body, even with all the Egyptians did to preserve the body, it eventually decomposed. But maybe God put within this mortal body some element that is not mortal. Maybe God put an immortal soul within the within the mortal body. Is the soul mortal or immortal? Well, before we enter that,
0: let's see what the Bible says. You might have heard of the song of the soul that never dies. Let's see what the Bible says in Ezekiel 18, 4. Mark it down. Ezekiel 18, verse 4. God says, Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall shall die. So apparently the soul is not immortal, because if the soul was immortal, it could not die. The Bible says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. This might be a surprise to most of us, because all of our lives we've been told we had an immortal, undying soul. (inaudible) The word soul, or spirit, (inaudible) or the equivalent word in the King James Bible, is found over 1,600 times, but it's never called an immortal soul or an undying soul. In fact, the Bible declares death to be asleep at least 53 times. The word immortal is only used one time in the Bible. If you like the reference, it's 1 Timothy 1, verse 17. And it's describing God. God is immortal.
1: Well, what about, what does the Bible teach about the state of man in death? We already found out what the
0: Egyptians believed. The mummies have come back to haunt us with that question. What happens when you die? Let's see what the Bible says. We're going to read from Ecclesiastes 9, 5. And if you're taking notes, verses 5, 6, and 10. Ecclesiastes 9, verses 5, 6, and 10. Beginning with verse 5, the Bible says, For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know, know how much? The dead know not anything, neither have they any more a reward, for the memory of them is
1: forgotten. Now, verse 6. Verse 6 says, Also, their love, their hatred, their envy is now perished, neither have they any more a portion forever in anything that is done under the sun.
0: Son, if they were living on in some form, wouldn't they have love? Wouldn't they have emotions?
1: Sure would. The
0: Bible says, All that in. Verse 10, now, Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. So when you go in the grave, how much do you know?
1: Let's read again
0: from Ecclesiastes 9, 5.
1: Let's read it all together. It says, for the living living know know that they they shall die, die, but but the dead dead know not anything. anything. Well, that sort of flies in the face of what the Egyptians taught. Son, tell me, how much does King
0: Tuck know then? Nothing. The Bible says they don't know anything. How much is nothing? Nothing Nothing is nothing. The Bible says the dead
1: know not anything. What happens at death? is the question we want to answer tonight. Well, in order for us to understand what happens at death, we need to go back to creation.
0: Let's go back and look at how God made man, because death is
1: essentially
0: creation in reverse. We're going to go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. If you're taking notes, Genesis 2, verse 7. And as we read this passage, you see if you can spot three elements in the makeup of man. Genesis 2, verse 7 says, And the Lord God formed man out of the, the what? dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the, the, what? the breath of life, also called the spirit in other places, and man became a what? A living soul. Please notice that God did not put a soul in, into Adam. Adam became a living soul. How? By God breathing into the dust, the breath of life. Let me ask you, where was Adam before God created him? Adam was not some disembodied spirit floating around in the cosmos, waiting for God to make a body to put him into, like some churches teach. Adam did not exist before God created him. Well, son, tell us, what happened then when Adam died? What did God say would happen to Adam when he died?
1: Genesis 3.19 In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. So at death everything returns. Who said that?
0: Uh, That's what God said. Everything returned to the way it was. So
1: death is creation in reverse. So now we can answer the question what happens at death? To answer
0: that, we're going to go again to the book of Ecclesiastes. I hope you're marking down these texts because we're going to look at a lot of texts tonight. Ecclesiastes twelve, verse seven. Where the Bible says, Then shall the dust, what's the word? Turn. Return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall, what's the word? Turn. Return unto God who gave it. You say, now what's that spirit that goes back to God? We know what the dust is. We've seen bodies decomposing. Well, what is that spirit that goes back to God and death? it returns to God? Well, the question is, what came forth from God in the beginning that caused man to become a living soul? What was it?
1: Let's go back and read it. Genesis 2, verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the... Dust of the ground, number one, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and then man became a living soul. So what came forth from God? Breath of a life. Breath
0: of life. And at death, where does that go? It returns to the one who gave it. This expression, son, breath of life. Is it also referred to as spirit in other places? Yes. Let's go read some examples. Job twenty seven three, what's it say, son?
1: As all the while my breath is in me and the Spirit of God is in my nostrils. And the margin says the breath that God gave him. You can see here breath and spirit are the same. So is that just the air that I breathe? That would be the
0: gift of life. Spark of life. At death the gift of life returns to where? Returns to the one who gave it. That
1: word spirit that's an interesting word in the original translation, of the, or in the original language the Bible was written. It was Ruach, and the word Ruach was used 117 times as wind or air, 33 times as breath, and 227 times as spirit. But it's the same Hebrew word Ruach. Ruach. Now, with that in mind, let's read from
0: Ecclesiastes 12:7. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Ruach shall return unto God who gave it. That's the Hebrew word. The word spirit there is the Hebrew word Ruach. Whatever it is that goes back to God probably contains a record of you. i like to illustrate it this way. Suppose we could make a computer hard drive big enough to fit all of your information on, everything about you that you ever saw or experienced or tasted or heard that's a pretty big hard drive big millions and millions of terabytes when we got all of your information on that hard drive would that hard drive be you? no just be a record and if you die would you be living on in that hard drive? of course not that's simply the record no doubt God preserves a record of us In the resurrection, your identity is restored to you. But don't miss this. Whatever it is, that spirit, that ruach that goes back to God, whatever that is, it is not a thinking conscious entity. How do we know? Does the dead know how much?
1: Let's, let, let's look at another This is so another clear verse. Psalms 146, verse 4. His breath goeth forth. That's the Ruach. That's the Spirit. His breath goeth forth. Where does it go? It goes back to God. He, where does he go? He returns to the earth. In that very day, his thoughts perish. That's what
0: the Bible says. So, so the soul or spirit cannot live in a conscious form apart from the body. What did the Bible say? Altogether, read it with us. For the living know that they no, shall no, die, no, but the dead, dead, dead know no, anything. No, not anything. Ecclesiastes 9 5. Let's go back to creation and notice three things in the makeup of man the Lord God for man,
1: out of the number one. Dust of the ground in breathed into its nostrils, number two, <laughs> because, no, 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 breath of life, breath and man, number three, day. became a living soul. We have three things creation now, consider death.
0: In death, Ecclesiastes twelve seven, we have only two things. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit, or breath, shall return to God who gave it. There's something missing here in death. I what know. is it?
1: The living soul.
0: What happened to the living soul? What happened to the soul, son? Huh? ceased to exist. Let me ask you, where was Adam's soul before God created it? Adam was not some disembodied soul waiting around for
1: God to put make a body to put him into. Adam did not exist until God created him by the dust of the ground combined with the breath of of life, What does a soul look like, Father? Look at the person
0: sitting beside you. You're looking at a soul.
1: In the Bible, soul means life or the living being.
0: In fact, son, did you know that in the Bible, even animals are said to have souls? If you like the text for that, you can put Revelation 16.3. That simply means that animals also have the gift of life. In fact, let's define what a living soul is. Dust
1: of the ground plus the spirit equals a living soul. Or in other words, elements of the earth plus the breath of life, that's a soul, that's a living creature. Let's illustrate it this way.
0: Let's imagine we have a light bulb. We'll let the light bulb represent the body. We add to the light bulb electricity. We'll let that symbolize the spirit, the gift of life. When you put the two together, you get a third thing called light. Three things. We have the bulb, the electricity, the light, the body, the spirit or breath, and the soul. No question. What happens when you disconnect the electricity from the light bulb? The light dies out, but where does it go? Where does the light go? Does it go back up in the wire somewhere? Where does the light go? It simply goes out, and it's the same with the soul. The soul ceases to exist. Let's go back to Genesis three. Notice what God said: "In the sweat of thy face." This is after sin. God said to Adam: "In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto heaven." Translation of that? Let me try that. That might be what some preacher says, not what God said. Till thou return unto where? Unto the ground, for dust thou art, For out of it, that's the ground was thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto, uh, unto soul, unto dust shalt thou return. That's what God said. Adam would return to the dust to wait there till the resurrection. That brings us to the question, son, where are the dead?
1: Well let's see what Jesus said in John five twenty-eight and twenty nine. Jesus tells us where the dead are. Let's read John five twenty-eight and twenty-nine. Jesus says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. So where are the dead? The graves. And then read not on, and shall come forth. That's the resurrection. Forth from where? From the grave. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. We'll look at those two resurrections Saturday evening. We study about the millennium. So the Bible teaches that the dead, they're not in heaven and they're not in hell and they're definitely not in purgatory, but they are in the graves and they don't even go into the grave unless a living person puts them in the grave.
0: Is the end of life and consciousness. Some of you might be thinking, doesn't the Bible talk about the rich man and Lazarus? How many of you have heard the story of the rich man and Lazarus, Messi? Oh, it looks like, at least for those of you that I can see in these lights, most of you have. You can read that story in Luke 16, 19-31. through 31. Who did the Lord speak this
1: story to? Well, let's read Luke 16, 15. And he said unto them, which clearly is the Pharisees, that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God.
0: And then the story that he
1: tells of the rich
0: man and Lazarus is a classic example of a highly esteemed doctrine of the Pharisees, which is an abomination to God. In fact, let me show you what my companion study Bible says from the Zachter Publishers. This commences the second part of the Lord's address to the Pharisees against their tradition, making void God's word as to the dead. It is not called a parable, because it cites a notable example of the Pharisees' tradition, which had been brought from Babylon. Well, son, where did the Babylonians get it from?
1: Egypt.
0: They got it from Egypt. So even the Common to Companion Study Bible admits that this story is an example of a Pharisee's doctrine, which is not based on the Bible, based on tradition. But the question, son, is this literal or
1: parabolic, the story of the rich man and Lazarus? Well, let's look at some reasons why this is a parabolic story. First of all,
0: according to the story, the beggar dies, Lazarus is called the beggar, He dies, and he's carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Tell me, is Abraham's bosom the literal abode of the sage? Abraham would have to have a very big bosom for all the righteous to get onto his bosom. That's symbolic. Since the picture of heaven is symbolic, we know the picture of hell must also be symbolic. They're either both literal or they're both symbolic. That's
1: number one, number two, is there is this conversation going on between those in heaven and those in hell? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what do you the like story? Them. Well, I don't know of anyone that believes that the saved and the lost will be communicating together. Even the Bible says in Isaiah 65, okay. 17, the former things will not be remembered or mm-hmm. come mm-hmm. into mind. The third reason we know this is not a literal picture of what happens
0: at death, number three, William is that the rich, the rich man, man the is in hell with a body. Mm-hmm. He's got eyes and a tongue. I don't know anybody that believes that literal bodies go to hell at death. Uh, they've dug up people who died. They still have their body parts. But if you believe that this story is a literal picture of what happens at death, then you have to believe that the bi- literal body of the, of the wicked goes into hell at death because that's what the story teaches.
1: And then... Number four is the request of a rich man for one drop of water to cool him as he's burning in the fires of hell. How much relief would you get from one drop of water if you're burning in hellfire? Well, not very much relief. I tell you, I wouldn't ask for one drop of water. I'd ask for the whole ocean to put out the fire.
0: And son, how much water would be left on the tip of Lazarus' finger by the time he made it to the flames of hell to the rich man? anything left. The whole story is unrealistic. It's a parabolic story. Now the point is in the last verse. You can read in the last verse, Luke 16, 31, and he said unto him, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, there's the two witnesses along the prophets, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rose from the dead. Now tell me, son, did Jesus resurrect somebody from the dead? Yes. What was his name?
1: Lazarus. Did the
0: Pharisees then believe in Jesus after he resurrected Lazarus from the dead? No. No, why not? Here the Bible says because they did not hear Moses and the prophets. That's the word of God. So Jesus is telling them, since you don't believe the word of God, you're not even going to believe if somebody rises from the dead. Some tell us, what does the word of God teach about what happens when a person dies?
1: Let's read it all together, Ecclesiastes 9, 5. For the the living living know that they shall die, die, but the the dead dead know not anything.
0: anything. That's what the scriptures tell us about death. So we understand tonight that death is like a quiet rest. It's called a sleep in the Bible. Several times, 53 times. We'll look at a couple. Here's one, mark it in your notes. Psalms 13, verse 3 says, Consider and hear me, O Lord my God, lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of... Death. 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 is called a sleep. Which simply means that... Like when you're sleeping, you're not conscious of what's happening around you. So, in death, you're not conscious of what's happening around you. Did you ever lay down at night and you're tired and you fall asleep? And the next thing you know, the alarm clock is ringing and it's time to get up. You think, wow, that was sure a short night. What happens when you can't sleep at night? How long does the night seem? Oh, it seems like the night will never end. And it's the same in death for somebody who has died whether it's been a few hours or a few thousand years how long does it seem for the dead between the time of their death and the time of the resurrection it's going to seem like an instant they die the next thing might be a thousand years three thousand years who knows they die the next instant it's the resurrection because they're not conscious of the passing of time now we of course we're living we're conscious of the passing of time those who die They're not
1: conscious. It's like a sleep. Let's read another text. This is Job 14, verse 12. So man lies down. That means he dies. So man lies down and rises not till the heavens be no more. They shall not awake nor be raised out of their sleep. Till the heavens be no more. That's until Christ comes.
0: Jesus himself taught that death was like a sleep. Let's notice that from John 11:11 11, 11 to 14, mark that in your notes. And I'll give you the background here. Three special friends of Jesus were Martha, Mary, and their brother Lazarus. Lazarus got sick, and so Martha and Mary sent a message to Jesus, "Come heal our brother Lazarus." And Jesus delayed, and eventually Lazarus died. Let's pick up the story now in verse 11.
1: John eleven eleven. These things said he, and after that he says unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him out of his
0: sleep. Then it says, Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. He must be getting better.
1: Continuing, albeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking a rest and sleep. And then said Jesus unto them,
0: Plainly, Lazarus is, is dead. Please notice, our friend Lazarus sleepeth. And then Jesus said unto them, Plainly, Lazarus is dead. So Christ considers death to be like what? Like a sleep. Let's go on down
1: now in the story to where Jesus met Martha. Here Jesus meets Martha and he says, John 11 verse 21, says, John 11 verse 21, then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother had not died. Notice what Jesus continues saying, but I know that even now, whatever you will ask of God, God will give it to you. And Jesus said unto her thy brother shall rise again. Now let's notice verse 24, John 11 verse
0: 24. Here's Martha's reply. John 11:24 says, Martha said unto him, I know that my brother is up in heaven, now rejoicing with the angels in God's presence. No?
1: Have you ever heard a preacher say that? Our loved one is up in heaven now rejoicing with the angels in God's presence.
0: I heard a woman girl, a young girl who died at the funeral. The preacher said that she was up in heaven directing the choir. I thought, how does he know that? Did he go up to heaven to see her directing the choir? He's speculating. That's what Martha said. Martha said unto him I know that he shall rise again When?
1: In the resurrection
0: When's that? At the last day No doubt Martha had heard
1: the words of Jesus John 5, 28 and 9 All that are in the grave shall hear his voice And shall come forth Martha
0: was expecting to meet her brother In the resurrection when Christ Came back the second time Jesus had something special in mind. Let's go down the story now to verse 39. Verse 38 tells us, John eleven thirty-eight, that Lazarus was buried in a cave. There was a stone covering the entrance. And then verse 39 says, Jesus said, Take you away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he staketh.
1: for he, he hath been dead how
0: long? Four days, now tell me. have you ever smelled, the name, smelled connection, something that so. died? Oh, it smells terrible. The problem with Lazarus, he had not been mummified. And so four days have passed and his body is starting to decompose. We need to pause here, son, and answer a common
1: question. What about clinical death? What about near-death experience? Well, that's not biblical. The Bible tells us in Hebrews... 9.27, that it is appointed unto a man once to die. Those people that had a near-death experience, that's what it was. They were near dead, but they weren't actually dead. Because the living know they shall die, the dead know how much? They don't
0: know anything. You see, they define death two ways. There's what we call clinical death, where there's no brain waves, there's no pulse, no vital signs. And if that continues long enough, then you go into what's called biological death, where you begin to smell the effects of death. Eight million Americans claim to have had a near-death experience. Well, you know one thing, they might have been near-dead, but they were not really dead because the dead know how much? They don't know anything. So whatever they saw, the tunnel of light or whatever it was, we know they weren't dead because the dead don't know anything. How about Lazarus? Was Lazarus clinically dead, or was he really dead?
1: He was really dead. You don't come
0: back from clinical death after four days. Let's come back now to our story.
1: John 11, verse 43. It says, And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. What happened? He forth. Amazing what you can do with graphics.
0: Please notice, Jesus did not say... Lazarus, come down. If Lazarus had died and gone to heaven in soul form or any form, any conscious form, it was no favor for Jesus to resurrect him. I'll tell you, if I died and went to heaven and the Lord said, Lowell, come back down. I said, oh no, Lord, please. Don't resurrect me. I want to stay up here. Leave me alone. Wouldn't you? If Lazarus had been in heaven, it would have been no favor for Jesus to resurrect him. But where had Lazarus been? In the grave. What was he doing for four days? Where was his soul for those four days? He didn't have a soul. It was not until Jesus resurrected him that again he became a living soul. And when he came out of the grave... He
1: didn't have any stories to tell about golden streets, burly gates, and angelic choirs because the dead know how much. Nothing.
0: I I think. Certainly, if he had gone to heaven, he would have had a story to tell when he came back to life. Have you heard the stories that people tell having been down the hill or some other place? You know now, those are not biblical. Here we are looking at a biblical story and this person... And he came out of the grave, had nothing to tell. We do know that there are some people in heaven, right, son?
1: That's right. Enoch, the Bible tells us, is already in heaven. You can read that. Genesis Oops, me back up. In Genesis 5.24, Hebrews 11. He was taken to heaven. He did not die. Enoch is there. Who else is up in
0: heaven? Elijah is in heaven. Second Kings chapter 2. He was taken up to heaven in a fiery chariot. Elijah also didn't die. So we know that Elijah is in heaven. Enoch is in heaven. Anybody else up there
1: that we know of for sure? Moses. Moses actually died and was resurrected. We can show that from Romans chapter 5, verse 14, and Jude 1, verse 9. Jesus resurrected Moses. And what's interesting about Moses is that Moses could have been a mummy in Egypt. He was destined to be the king of Egypt. But instead of choosing the pleasures of sin, he chose, instead of believing the traditions of Egypt, he chose to follow, believe the word of God. And so today, instead of rotting away in some Egyptian pyramid, Moses is in heaven. Instead of being in a museum as a
0: mummy... Moses is up in glory. So now you know what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus was here on earth. You may remember that two men met him on the Mount of Transfiguration. Two men, not two ghosts. You can read that in Luke 9, 30. Two men, the Bible says, not two disembodied spirits. Two men. Who were those two men? Elijah and Moses. Elijah represents all those who will be alive when Jesus comes back and will be taken to heaven without dying. Moses represents all those who will be resurrected when Christ comes back and will also be taken to heaven. This is a miniature type of Christ's coming kingdom. But we can clearly see, son.
1: Death is
0: like sleeping. Jesus agrees with all the other Bible writers that death is like sleep. Alice
1: to so the dead though. Well, we learned already your subjects. First of all, the dead know not anything. Ecclesiastes nine five. The dead do not but, yeah. praise the Lord. Psalms one fifteen seventeen, Isaiah thirty eight eighteen and nineteen. If they were in heaven, they would certainly be praising the Lord. Six days, and hours. then the dead do, the do not
0: remember God. Psalm 6 verse 5.
1: And then the Bible says their thoughts perish when they die. There's no more conscious existence after death.
0: That's what the Bible teaches. What about the story of the thief on the cross? The earth, that story the thief on the cross? Let's read it from Luke 23, 42 and 43. And this is a common question. And he, remember that Jesus was crucified between two thieves. One thief eventually repented. The other, as far as we know, never repented. So this is the repentant thief. He said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Verse 43, and Jesus said unto him, verily I say unto thee today shalt thou be with me in paradise you say preachers now how do you explain that that seems to contradict everything we've just studied tonight well not only that Jesus himself didn't go to paradise that day himself so we got an even bigger problem how do you explain this
1: well you see here is the order of events. Friday, the preparation day, Jesus was crucified along with the thieves, and then Saturday, the Sabbath day, he was resting in the grave, and it was not until Sunday that he arose. What happened on Sunday when he arose? Uh, well, let's read what happened from John 20. This is three days after the crucifixion. Died on Friday. Now this is Sunday morning. Jesus said in John 2017, Jesus said unto her, "That's Mary, "Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. Go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father and unto my God and your God." So
0: Jesus says, "Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. What day is this? Sunday, now the Father's throne is in paradise, if you want the text for that, you can put down Revelation 2, 7, Revelation 22, 1 and 2, so on Sunday morning, Jesus tells Mary, I have not yet gone to my Father's house, I haven't gone to paradise yet, but it seemed like he told a thief on Friday, I'll meet you there today, how do you explain that? We know that Jesus did not tell a lie. God cannot lie, but we got a completely opposite story here. How do we explain this?
1: Well it's actually very, very simple because you see in the original Bible there was no punctuation. This was added hundreds of years later by the translators.
0: Let me show you that text here. Luke twenty three, forty three. This is English. Can you read that? Do you have? Oh, yeah, you can read it. It's a little more difficult because there's no spacing in between the words and there's no punctuation, but yeah, you can read that. How about this? Can you read that? That's how it was in the original. This is the original Greek. And in the original Greek Bible, they didn't have any spacing in between the words. There was no punctuation. That was added later by the copiers, the translators. They put spacing in between the words. Put in the punctuation where they thought it ought to go. Watch what happens to this verse when you move the comma. Listen. Verily I say to thee, comma, uh-huh, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. If we move that comma a little bit, verily I say unto thee, today, comma, uh-huh, shalt thou be with me in paradise. Does it sound different now? Jesus is telling the thief, today, when it doesn't look like I could save anybody, I'm dying on the cross. Today, when my followers have left me, that my people have rejected me, today, I tell you, you will be with me in paradise. If you read the text that way, then Jesus is being honest to the thief on Friday, and he's being honest to Mary on Sunday. If you insist that the comma, which was not in the original Bible, if you insist that it's in the right place, you make Jesus a liar. We certainly can't come to that conclusion. Let's notice this text from the original
1: Greek. This is how it would read word for word in the Greek. And it would read, And he said to Jesus, Remember me, Lord, when you come in the kingdom of you. And said Jesus to him, Alright, and said to him, Jesus, truly I say to you today, with me you will be in paradise. Then translated in English from the Greek, Jesus said to him, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise.
0: It all depends on where you put the comma. For example,
1: this one, woman without her man is
0: the beast. Depends on where you put the comma. Try it this way, woman, comma,
1: without her, comma, Man is a beast. Okay, 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 okay. Right? this way. Woman, where, where comma, without her man is a beast. Does that
0: sound better, Ben? It all depends on where you put the comma. You can see that the comma completely changes the meaning of these oh, sentences. Go. How do we know where the comma belongs here know. in Luke 23 43? <laughs> We look at the rest of the Bible, because we know the comma was not in the original Bible.
1: So by the way, I've seen some
0: translations of the Bible where they actually put this comma in the right place. But in the King James Bible, it's not in the right place. However, there are some translations that do put it in the right place. But we know where it belongs by looking at the rest of the Bible. What's the rest of the Bible teach?
1: Let's read all together tonight, Ecclesiastes 9.5. For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. That's what the Bible teaches. Tonight, the mummies in the pyramids of Egypt speak to us eloquently of the Egyptian hope of life immediately after death. But the Bible tells us the dead know not anything, and our hope after death is the resurrection. We have to choose which we will believe, the traditions of Egypt or the truths of God's word. Let's add another text tonight. First Thessalonians
0: 4, 16 and 17. The Bible says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. What purpose would the resurrection be if the dead were already in heaven, the righteous
1: dead? Good
0: question. you need a resurrection if the righteous are already in heaven? That's why many churches no longer teach the resurrection. We don't need a resurrection. We put people right in heaven when they die or right in hell when they die. We don't need a resurrection.
1: But
0: the Bible teaches the resurrection. Let's read verse 17 now.
1: Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord.
0: Please notice we're caught up together. Somebody told me one time, my daddy told me when I, he said when he was dying, he said, honey, I'll be waiting for you at the pearly gates when you come to glory. How could you do that? The Bible says we're caught up together. The only way our relatives who have died already could be waiting for us is if they run ahead of us on the road to glory. The Bible says we're caught up together to meet the air. Death, bible teaches is a quiet rest. let me illustrate let's imagine that a young mother with three little girls is killed in a motorcycle accident and these three little girls they don't understand what death is they can't find, they can't understand why mother doesn't come home where's mommy and they don't understand why daddy is always crying now. Why all the relatives are coming over. But this death thing is just a mystery between these three little girls. Then the day of the funeral arrives. And at the funeral, the preacher says, well, the little girls at the funeral, they see mother laying there in the casket. And the preacher says, mother is up in heaven. The little girls are looking up. They're looking over at the casket. They see Mother. She's laying there. Her eyes are closed. Her hands are folded. Maybe you can see some of the effects of the accident. It looks like Mother's sleeping. Have it? Mother's right there. And then the preacher says, God took her to be with him. And those little girls are thinking, why did God take our mother away from us? A seed of hatred toward God for taking away their mother is planted in the hearts of those little girls who planted the seed. The preacher. I had a lady tell me after this particular lecture some years ago, she said, Preacher, you told my story. She said, my brother and I, our mother died when we were young. At the funeral, the preacher said that God had taken mother to be with him in heaven. And she said, I hated God for many years for taking away my mother. If the preacher were to preach from the Bible, he would say that mother is sleeping asleep of death. And the little girls, they can see that. They look over in the casket, it looks like mother's sleeping. And if the preacher were to teach from the Bible, he would say there's only one person that can wake up mother, and that's Jesus. Someday Jesus will come back, and he's going to resurrect mother. Now, those little girls, they look forward to Jesus' return because Jesus will return Mother to the family. Do you see the difference? And incidentally, suppose Mother did go to heaven like they teach, and she's looking down on her family, grieving. Would she be happy? But suppose after a while, you know, the husband, he's gets, he's lonely, he has no wife, and he's got these three little girls. So he finds some other woman to marry, and Mother's looking down at this. And this new wife, she doesn't like these little girls, because they're not her girls. And so she abuses them, she beats them, she mistreats them, and Mother supposedly is looking down, seeing all this. Would Mother be happy in heaven? Not at all. The Bible has a much better picture. Death is a quiet rest. My mother is in the tomb. She died when she was 84 years old. And on her gravestone, we inscribe these words, In the blessed hope of eternal life, My mother, I believe, will be in the resurrection. The last words she spoke at the hospital when they asked her, How are you feeling? She said, Praising the Lord. Last thing she ever said. And I believe in the resurrection, my mother's going to come up out of the grave. I'm looking forward to meeting my mother again in the resurrection. Some of you, you've lost loved ones. There is hope beyond the grave. I want to be ready for Christ's coming, don't you? I want to be able to meet not only Jesus, but my mother, my sister, she died as well, and my other relatives. Do you want to be ready for Christ's coming? How many want to be ready for that event? May I see your hands? There is
1: hope for you, and are resting in the grave. There is hope for you, no thoughts or memory, and they say. There is hope for you, emotions too, they do not rave, But there is hope in Christ for you.
0: There is hope for you, death is only just to sleep. There is hope for you, Jesus will your record keep. There is hope for you. You really do not have to weep because there is hope in Christ for you. There is hope for you. Christ will return in the skies. There is hope for you. The dead in Christ will then arise. There is hope for you. Tears will not then dim our eyes.
1: This media was
0: brought to you by Audioverse